You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Here's a thought for you. People have always been manipulative. I mean, if you, if you look at the Bible, and if you, you know, do the chronology there, Genesis, I mean, I think it's chapter three. It's just like not even into the plot. It's just already, you know, Adam's blaming Eve, and there's just all these kind of, ah, manipulation. It's just kind of in our DNA. There is a book that came out recently, and it's called Holy Foods, How Cults, Communes, and Religious, religious Movements Influence What We Eat. This is a book about how religion has used food to control people. I would kind of like to read it, but I think I would feel like I can't cook anymore. I just like, I just can't do that. Um, and also, it, <laughs> manipulation, just an example, I don't know if you're like into like financial whatever. Um, I understand very little of it, but I love to read about it, especially when there's like a, you know, kind of interesting narrative and in, in the whole universe of cryptocurrency right now and the Bankman Freed guy, oh my God, blaming his attorneys. It's just, you know, again, the manipulation. Every commercial we've ever seen in our whole entire lives, manipulation. It, um, we just can't really get away from it. And from the outset, I want to make something very, very clear. That there's a distinction between Christianity and the Christian culture. Christianity is following Jesus, and that is life. The Christian culture is good, sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's manipulative. And it really is when it comes to the scripture we're going to look at today, and that's Proverbs 31. If you are a male or you have not been raised in church, you may not know that this particular set of verses has been used as a scorecard for women, particularly married women, in short, to manipulate. But that's not what it is at all. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it little bit long, but you can do it. You have an attention span that's long. I know you do. I say that in faith. You haven't spent all morning on TikTok, I hope. Um, I'm going to begin with verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. A wife of noble character who can find... She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like a merchant ship bringing food from afar. She gets up while it's still night and provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and she buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. I couldn't let that go. Um, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. All of them are clothed in scarlet. 
She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple, my favorite color. Her husband is respected at the city gates, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat of the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her work works bring her praise at the city gate. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are good. You are kind. And you are reasonable. I pray that you would just come and speak to us. Encourage us, challenge us, draw us to yourself. I pray, Father, that every one of us will just be closer to you, more excited about you, more drawn to you when we walk out these doors today than when we came in. Thank you, Father. And we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is our last Sunday in our series on wisdom, I Pity the Fool. Proverbs is one of the five wisdom books in the Bible, um, and Proverbs 31 is where we're going to land this plane. Like I said, Christian culture has held this set of verses as the scorecard and the manipulation of godly women and what a godly woman should aspire to. If you take that view, if this is, do you have to do these things, then what you are doing is you're reduced to, you're reducing a woman to a Stepford wife bot and not... (laughs) The, and not the flesh and blood woman created in the image of God that she is. If you look at this woman, she gets up early, she has three businesses, she makes clothes, she stays up late working, she's cooking, she runs a nonprofit, and she has a real estate uh, agriculture th- side hustle. Amen. She is... <laughs> Get you... She is everything to everyone. Cue, I'm every woman. But here, it's a lifelong to-do list, and here's what it produces. It creates frustration, depression, anxiety, and shame. That kind of thinking is why 10 years ago, a true mental health problem called Pinterest anxiety was born. Currently, it's just all of social media. I remember when Reese and I first got married, and we started coming, a few months, we got married in April, started coming to the church in June, July, and the church looked like this. It was 50 people meeting in an unair-conditioned warehouse over on Frontage Road, and uh, our first real friends were the founding pastor and his wife, Thorne Bonnie. And you are going to get to meet Thor if you haven't already in November. He's going to, going to come speak. And um, Bonnie and her friend group, and they you know, just took me right in. Bonnie and her friend group were in constant discussion about Proverbs 31. I mean constant. About how demanding it was. About how unreasonable it seemed. And I remember them talking about, is this a sin that we feel like this is unreasonable? These are women who were educated 
and many of them had homeschooled their children for a little while, but they were women that um, had young children, they were in the workforce, they were trying to sustain a marriage. This team, they were the leadership team building this church, um, managing a household, trying to process life as a believer, and the list just kind of goes on and on and on. And I remembered them feeling so guilty. I'm sorry, you know this is gonna happen every time I speak. Um, And usually the conversation would end with the white flag of, well, she had servants. But there was... (laughs) 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 But the the reality is, it, it was always, it left all these women with this sense of just not being enough. So let's look at the facts of this scripture, the origin and the intention of the scripture. It's an acrostic poem and whose target audience is the Hebrew man. Or it can be all men, we don't have to discriminate. (laughs) Jewish men memorize this and sing it to honor the women in their lives at every Sabbath meal, even to this day, or technically two days ago, I guess. Um, The only instructional portion is to men. It never says, hey, ladies, do this. No, it doesn't. The only instructional portion is to men, and it says, give her the reward she has earned. There's a really wonderful article by uh, the late Rachel Held Evans, and it's it's called Three Things You Might Not Know About Proverbs 31. It gives some really good context and background. I encourage you to to read it. Um, And she says, too often we focus on the Proverbs 31 woman roles as a way of reducing womanhood to marriage, motherhood, domesticity, when really this passage is about the character that transcends both gender and circumstance. Fact. Um, I'm probably going to butcher, even though I've listened to it like 25 times, how you, how you say this. Um, the opening phrase, a wife of noble character or a virtuous woman, whatever your um, version says, is uh, a shit. Sh- that sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? <laughs> Halil. Okay. Um, maybe it was a bad word. Anyway, what it, I'm not going to say it again. Um, it doesn't mean virtuous or noble. It means valor. That's bravery and great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. I'd like to make that a Pinterest board. Um, In the Held Evans article, she talks about uh, one of her dear friends who's Jewish, and she and her friends call this out to each other as a blessing or a greeting. They use it as a blessing when one of them has a baby or gets a job promotion. And yes, this friend, and this was written in 20... Um, maybe 10 years ago, this woman's husband sings this to her every Sabbath meal. I mean, this really happens right now. So what does this have to do with us, and what does it have to do with wisdom? A lot. As followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to filter the Scriptures through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we also, as 21st century Christians, have the responsibility of filtering this through our times David said in Psalm 31:15, "God, you hold my times in your hands." He holds our times 
in his hands. Um, so how do we accept, relate, and understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey here? We have to look at all this. Proverbs 1.7 says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their nose at such wisdom and learning. So here's a question that I think it's really important for us all to ask ourselves from time to time. Who are you, God, and what do you want with me? Kind of a more church way to put it is, more church-friendly way to put it, what is the character of God and how do we experience it? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's a great place to start. And those, that list certainly reflects the character of God. But it's also sort of like reading a bio on a dating app or an ad in Zillow. It's not real. You have to experience it. It's just a list. It's a beautiful list. I love that list. You notice how I didn't look at my notes? I've memorized that list. I just, uh. But it's just a list. It's the experience of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to experience God, and it's through experience that trust is built. And that applies to everything, from store brands to jobs to people. And we are invited to experience Him. Psalm 34, 8 says, Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to Him. But how do we experience Him? The same way that we experience anything. We're present, we're aware, we're curious, we're open. We talk to other people who seem to have much more confidence or knowledge about who God is and what he wants. And really, the, the growth pathway, is is perfect setup for that very thing. And we become aware of who we are, really. That is one of the most important steps we can take in experiencing and knowing God is knowing ourselves. Thomas Akempis argued that a humble self-knowledge is a surer way to God than the search after deep learning. Augustine's prayer was, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know Thee. A wonderful resource that I want to point you to is The Gift of Being Yourself by David Brenner. There's a very powerful example uh, from the book, and it's, he looks at Peter. Peter is the impetuous disciple who believed he'd never deny Jesus, when in reality, 24 hours, less than 24 hours after he made this big claim, I'll never deny you, he was denying him. Um, there's an interaction in Scripture between Jesus and Peter after Jesus' resurrection, and Peter must confront what he did, and he also must confront Jesus' forgiveness. He, and this is a quote from the book, he did not know himself until Jesus showed him who he was. But in learning about himself, he also came to truly know Jesus. And that's just from chapter one. But I think it's important to note the verb there. Jesus showed him who he was. If, you've read, if you're familiar with that passage, Jesus asked him a, list, a question, but he asked him to him three times. And each time, it just broke and broke and broke Peter until he had to face reality. And the best part of that reality was Jesus was the, then feed my sheep. 
extending forgiveness, pouring out love to him. He showed him. He did not tell him. He did not give him a list. You have to be these 10 things, Peter. He showed him. This knowing of ourselves and knowing God is not an event. It's a relationship. It's a living, breathing, moving, changing thing. It goes forward. It goes backwards. It dies. It's reborn. It's the worst pain, and it's the greatest joy. There are going to be times when you're in this relationship that God does not seem real. And then there are going to be times and encounters that you have when his presence is so strong you can't breathe. We ponder the character of God and clarity often follows. When we can trust him, when we can trust him, we can be sure that he wants the best for us. We can rest in his goodness. Fear can't stay. And the reality is we revisit this again and again and again and again. It is foolish to think that you have a single experience and that just paves the golden path. Living, breathing, moving, changing. Things that are living, they change. Things that are dead don't. They say just the same. Learning begins with wisdom. And I want you to kind of keep get in mind this idea of, of the ocean, or the lake, like a shore, the ebb and the flow. Every relationship you have will do that. And when we don't realize that, then we flip out and quit. <laughs> but it is, it is the ebb and the flow. James 3.17 says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and it's reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. James, James 3.17 is a short version of Proverbs 31. It's an invitation to everyone. It's an invitation to every person, every male, every female, every single, every married, every young, every old. It's an invitation to enter. We're all invited to enter this life of wisdom. To be present to the people and the situations that this beautiful and mysterious triune God puts in our lives. Let's look at Proverbs 31 like we would an impressionistic painting. That's going to show that. Yeah, okay. That's Monet. It's water lilies. We can all clearly see that. True, right? Got it? But when you, and it's an impressionist painting, and so you need to stand back. Now, when you look up close, that's what you see. You see the, what the artist calls the broken paint. And you totally miss what the artist is trying to convey. So we can look at Proverbs 31 through a marketer's lens, or we can back up and we can see what did God intend. Because we look at it through the marketer's lens, we are seeing a restrictive list 
that results in shame and striving for about 60% of the population. But when we back up and look at it through the character of God, a God who we have experienced, we see what it means to be present. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be present to his call. We can be present to his intentions. Um, I missed a whole little thing here, I think. I'll go back and put it in. We can be present. And a practical way that we can be present, one very practical way we can be present is through prayer. Prayer is just something that all we have to do is do it. It's always at our disposal. Um, Thursday morning, uh, Reese and I drive separately to work, not for any reason other than we just have different things we have to do and go to. But when I left that morning, I was not pleased. And so... (laughs) I was mad at Reese, okay? Um, anyway, I was trying to give these, I was driving, I was praying, I was really trying to give these emotions, these feelings to God, because that's what you got to do. I give everyone, it's a prayer that I pray. Father, I give everyone and everything to you. And so I was trying to do that, and I noticed in my rearview mirror another driver being extraordinarily intimate with the trunk of my car. And so I'm praying, and as I'm praying, I envision myself giving a hand gesture to the back. Did you see the low bar that prayer is? I, was, I got to speak at Mops on Thursday nights. Wonderful group of ladies, um, mothers of preschoolers. And I told them about a, a time. Um, Lily was, I guess, six. Charlotte and Emma Catherine were like two and three, or one and two, really. Probably one and two. And uh, Reese had taken Lily to school, Charlotte and McCatherine, nobody slept. The smell of vomit is in my memory. I mean, it was just, and I was, I was sweaty and gross, and I was, this was the start of the day. And I remember carrying them down the stairs, and I just yelled, God, right now would be a really great time for you to do something. See prayer. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just, it's just easy. It's just easy. Now let me go back to where I was. That didn't feel too discombobulated, did it? So like I was saying, the Holy Spirit, we, um, we can be present to his call, to his intentions. We can be present to his plans. We can be present to our spouse, to our friends, to our children, to our work. We can be present we can experience this beautiful God. Now, I want to back up a second, and I want to go back to those two verses that I read that aren't part of the woman part. And it is, I think this is kind of funny, it's verses 8 and 9. They're in the first section, and that section is entitled, The Sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. So really, it should be, the sayings of King Lemuel's mother. Why is the problem? Anyway, she says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's the opening of the invitation. 
Why is it wise to speak up? Why is it wise to defend the poor and the needy? Because our God is wise. Remember James 3.17, real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with a holy life. And it's characterized by getting along with others, being gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. We're all invited into this life of wisdom, and the ball is in our court. I want to read one more scripture. The worship team wants to come on up. This is Romans 11, 33 and 36. It's from the message. Have you ever come on anything like the extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We can't figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Is anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a favor that God asks for his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Let's stand up and let's worship this God.